on this episode of Checking In. Maria fills in for Annie, who's on maternity leave. We discuss things from revolutionaries to public shaming. As always, you can follow us on your favorite podcasting hosting site. Okay, we're back, and thanks for checking in with the Gross Point Public Library. I'm Matt, and with me today is one of my co-workers who actually works with me at the Woods Branch. Her name is Maria, and she'll be filling in today because Annie had her baby Monday, so she will be out on maternity leave for the foreseeable future, so I will be having some co-hosts to fill in for the time being, and Maria is the first victim. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for joining me. I think the people would have not liked me talking by myself for 45 minutes. Well, you I never think. know. I don't know if I could have done it for 45 minutes by myself, <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. Thank you. And we could just get right into it. So what have you been, what have you been doing? Well, I read a lot voraciously. That's, that's about good. Two books a week, um, easily, but all kinds of stuff. Um, lately I've been reading uh, some graphic memoirs. I read Che, A Revolutionary Life by John Lee Anderson, which is a huge doorstop of a book. Yeah, I think I remember seeing it on your desk. It looked pretty big. I didn't know if it was, I didn't know it was a graphic one. I just thought it was just a general biography. I'm like, I'm sure someone could write enough about him. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, um, I don't know if you know this, but my father's from Cuba, and so Che Guevara's been on the, the radar for a very long time, mm-hmm. but... Just a little controversial in Cuba, a, I would say. A little, yeah, but I never knew anything about Che Guevara. Mm-hmm. I never read about him. My father didn't talk about the revolution, um, so... This was a good introduction, but it was the artwork in the book was impressive, but it was very thin on details. Mm-hmm. So I think if you really want to know about Che Guevara, you need to read other things than this. But it's a good introduction. Did it so. do everything from when he was young to when the revolution happened, or did it just take was it a very small snippet of his life just during the Cuban times? It was mostly his life as a revolutionary. A large okay. chunk was in Cuba, but then mm-hmm. in. He traveled all over to yeah. Africa and Bolivia, and mm-hmm. even though he was from Argentina. Yeah. But I would have liked to have read more about his childhood. Like, how did he get to be such a revolutionary? Yeah. I think there's some books out there. There's a book. There's a movie called Motorcycle Diaries. I think it's actually he wrote oh, that. Yes, I've heard of that. And that was sort of like basically his life up until he became sort of a revolutionary. He just sort of saw all the injustice okay. in the world, and he's like, I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, and that's. Then, the impression I got about his life. He seemed to be like a professional revolutionary to go in and get things started for the people and then yeah. leave and go on to the next yeah, great I'm not thing. Sure. I did, but did they have the whole the, his whole UN speech in there? That was that for Castro. No, Castro went to the UN. Right, no. And that was all Castro. That. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting because, you know, he grew up he was a lawyer he was a doctor. Yes. Or he was training a to be a doctor. doctor. Right. Um, I'm not sure if he actually ended up finishing his degree or not, but that was his path. Cause he was he lived he lived a pr- pretty privileged life yeah. when he was in Argentina. Yes. And so did Castro too. Like he was a lawyer. Yes. Um, and an interesting and fact about that. This is an aside of that, but uh, Castro went to a boarding school, the same boarding school my father went to in Cuba. So. Did they go at the same time? No, 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 okay. no. My father was a lot younger. My father was 18 when the revolution okay. ended, and so. Castro, I think, was about 10 years older than he was, so mm-hmm. a different generation. But yeah. I, I enjoyed the book, but um, I'll need to learn more about Guevara if I want to read more. Mm-hmm. The other graphic memoir I read 
and I like, as you can tell, I like memoirs, not necessarily um, fiction. So I read Kid Gloves, Nine Months of Careful Chaos by Lucy Nisley. I don't know if you've heard of her. Mm-mm. She, her, her, all her graphic novels are autobiographical, and they're occasionally too much information, but they make for compulsive reading. So mm-hmm. she's kind of whiny at times, but I just can't stop reading about her life and this is her latest. Her last one was How She Got Married, and now mm-hmm. this one is her first child, and her artwork is really cool. Does she do the art and yes. she does everything yes. on her own? Yeah, yeah. So I'm impressed with her work, and she's about your age, so early 30s, so she's mm-hmm. recorded her pretty much her entire life, college, and... And these are all separate memoirs, yes. though? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, but she's been writing a long time. Nisley is spelled K-N-I-S-L-E-Y, if anyone's interested in reading her work. I think that'll be interesting. Does she do any? Is that what her main profession is? Is like she yes. just do just a yes. memoir? She doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Graphic memoir. I have never seen like a work of graphic fiction. She hasn't her. that you know of. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Mm-hmm. And I think I've read everything of hers. Mm-hmm. So. And do we have these books at the library? We have most of them. Okay. Yeah, I think Gross Point North or South had another one, and the other ones I got through Michigan Electronic Library mm-hmm. or Inner Loan System. Yeah. Okay. So. How about you? You've read um, any graphic. I haven't been reading any graphic stuff lately. I mean, I have in the past, but not this past couple weeks. I finally finished that book called Like War that I started like four months ago. (laughs) Not very interesting? It was was interesting. I just sort of, I always start something. I'm like, I'll finish this later. And then later becomes almost never. And then I'm like, I should finish this book. So I finished it. And it's pretty good because it's about the weaponization of social media and these two, oh. like, intelli- one of them was, like, an intelligence officer. Another one was, like, a tech person. They wrote the book together. And they sort of talk about the rise and influence of social media and how that, you know, affects how even just the general military intelligence agencies, like, do stuff. And the fact that these agencies, like, these media companies exist, like Google, Facebook, and everything, like, it's sort of broken down, like, the traditional intelligence gathering stuff. Like, there's this one story happened a while ago with that a whole Russia-Ukraine plane shooting down thing. Mm-hmm. Some guy who had no military background, he just did it as a hobby. He was able to pinpoint exactly what happened to the plane with just using Google Maps. Oh, wow. Because of all, like, the Google stuff that... All. Basically, yeah, Google <laughs> knows everything. And just, like, all these social media companies, like, you know, they started out just as, like, sort of, like, a, you know, goodwill to keep people connected to their families and spread their good word, but they become so much more than they want like the one of the book arguments is that these companies are more like governments now that they have to take a responsibility in yeah. you know doing all this stuff because you know you could argue that Mark Zuckerberg is the most powerful person in the world because his he's got two billion people that yeah. sign up for Facebook he's more powerful than anybody yeah. and that's sort of like one of the arguments that these tech comp- that these guys are saying like Twitter Facebook Instagram that's almost like they have a moral obligation now to do everything because yes yeah. You know, it's sort of it's got scary. away from got away from them, and they're trying. To, I think you know they have been addressing some of the stuff, but some of the stuff they do takes them a while for them to actually do it. Cause I think the technology that they have to change it overnight is just not possible, and stuff. Okay. So, did they bring up in that book like weaponization as far as like things going viral? Bullying? Yeah, going viral. Yeah, because they talked about how ISIS was like the the terrorist organization that used social media pretty well because they had a lot of young people that signed up and it's sort of like how you could sort of win a war without firing a shot 
because they just all their stuff went viral like they had YouTube videos you know Twitter uh-huh. and all this stuff so all they had to do was make it look like something happened and like people would actually believe that it actually happened oh boy and that's all it that's all it took and like you know it would take like the traditional military people like you know like a day or two be like oh yeah this actually didn't happen wow. but it was too late wow so is this a very recent book like yeah i think where? it came out last year okay yeah i think i remember how i found it i think one of the websites i follow mentioned that it was a good book to read so i read it and i think that just just good information to know um sure. but i think it's just one of those things that even if you're not using the social media like there's no hiding i don't mm-hmm. think anymore no. you can try your best but no not in this day and age but google can if Google can find out who shot a plane out of the sky, <laughs> right. just from backtracking their satellite images, they could probably find out where you live and all that stuff, too. Well, it's definitely not light reading that you read there. Um, it was I mean, it was pretty readable. It wasn't very heavy, but it was just sort of whatever. It was, they were in it ju- sounds scary to me. They weren't so. judging them. They were just saying, like, you know, these things have just taken a whole role that they didn't envision. Yeah. You know, Mark Zuckerberg 100% didn't think that he'd have to talk to Congress about his... His, his creation sure. and all that. Right. Um, right. But I'd recommend it, though, if you're, okay. if you're interested about that. And then the other book I read was So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and that's by John Ronson. He's a British journalist. I heard of that one. Um, but I, I, that got brought up because John Oliver did a segment on his show about public shaming, and then something I read in the comments was about this book did a good job of following people that have been publicly shamed and sort of just figuring out you know, what happened to the people, like, after the fact. And, like, all the people that, you know, did that, you know, they lost their jobs. Like, they can't, like, go on dates anymore. Just, oh, my gosh. Just from, like, a simple, you know, they tweeted something dumb that okay. didn't think that anything was going to happen. Yeah. Spread through, the, spread through the waves. Like, this one person, he said, Justine Sacco, she did something. She had a really bad tweet about something. And then she got on the plane, and then when she got to where she landed, like, she had already gotten fired. <laughs> and like oh it was like she had like a million searches in like de- like the month of December when it happened, wow. and that's like the only thing people know about her if they search her name was wow. just this incident, and like there's like just a whole bunch of other stuff that you know this has happened, just things getting out and putting it to the you know public. So is this public shaming regarding social media or is it? It's like a little bit of both, even traditional, even tra- newspaper. Radio I think it's so you know mostly social media, but there has okay. been some. I think there was like this guy. He was the head of the Formula One racing, and there was like I guess you could say it was one of those tabloids. Got him doing something, and then like, but he was one of the stories that he just sort of took it head on, and was able to like come out ahead of it because he was able to sex- successfully sue the people that oh, did it I because see. they claimed it was like a Nazi themed thing that he was doing, but. There was no proof of that, so he was able to sue for defamation. He won, like, one of the biggest lawsuits, wow. and then that the paper ended up closing, okay. like, shutting down and stuff. But I think, you know, the whole reason he started, he wrote this book was to see, you know, what can be done about this sort of thing. Like, he just followed the people that were shamed and sort of, like, listened to their stories and tried to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. And throughout his thing, like, he actually found, like, this one guy who actually, like, socially engineers Google. Like, he creates a bunch of different stuff, so if you like hire this guy who was apparently pretty expensive but for the purpose of the book like he let this guy um john ronson like pick up somebody like the subject of the book and she was able to get her offensive like picture from facebook like on the second or third page of google 
So like no one actually knows that she did it anymore. Oh, I see. So like these, there's like these algorithm artists that just create a bunch of I'm fake sure. profiles with Instagram <laughs> blogs and stuff to push the offensive stuff off the okay. top searches and stuff. I'm sensing a theme with the two books here. Of social uh, media social and the dangers media. of social media and yeah. loss of privacy and everything. Yeah, I think he didn't make any judgments either. But like he was, he would, he did say that that um, shaming was this, like a actual form of punishment back in older times, and like yes. it was deemed like you know psychologically and emotionally taxing yeah. so much that they had to actually outlaw it. So. Like, they don't do that. Like, it's not something that, like, a judge could be, like, you know, instead of right. going to jail, you could, you know, do this or something. Yeah. But there was a story, actually, in there that the judge actually did that. I think it was in Texas. Instead of putting people in jail, like, he'd make them, like, walk around with signs saying, like, what they did <laughs> and stuff. Um, but it was interesting. It's uh, funny you mention that because, I mean, even in ancient times, it brought up the book I'm reading for my mystery book, A Morbid Taste for Bones. By Ellis Peters, and it takes place in 12th century Europe. And again, they talk about there's people being publicly shamed in there, if not going to jail or dying mm-hmm. in, in those days. But yeah. yeah, it's been around for a long time. And um, can I mention the other two mysteries that I'm reading? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm slowly reading the uh, books in the Louise Penny Inspector Armand Gamache series set in Quebec, present day Quebec. I just finished the seventh book, A Trick of the Light, and it's an amazing series. I don't usually read mystery, but since mm-hmm. I took over the mystery book group, I've sought out some ones that I would like to read, and I think others would too. And this series, you can never keep it on the shelf, this entire series. And mm-hmm. you have to read them in order for plot and character development. And I actually had the pleasure of hearing Louise Penny speak when I lived in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And she's she's what I would call literary mysteries. So it's not just uh, plot driven, they're very much character driven. So, mm-hmm. um, but they have to be read in order. And her writing gets into character, expo- excuse me, explorations of the human psyche, um, kind of like Jane Austen and P.D. James. Um, so if anyone is looking for a good mystery series, I highly recommend that one. Is each book like a separate case or is it all just, is it like more serialized to just sort of goes from beginning to wherever the author takes it kind of both okay each book is a different case Mm -hmm. but each character and there's a lot of characters to get a handle on the very first book in the series if anyone is interested is called still life and it introduces this large cast of characters in the small village of three pines which Mm -hmm. is in quebec near montreal and then each character excuse me each book goes further into one or more of the characters lives their pasts Mm -hmm their flaws and some of it is shocking in that mm-hmm. because we're all human we're all frail and yeah. you don't think she's going to go somewhere and she does so mm-hmm. um the other end of the mystery scale i've been reading is this it's going to sound silly but it's this tea shop mystery series mm-hmm. set in charleston north excuse me south carolina and they're up to 20 books in the series the author is laura childs and along with the mystery you get delicious descriptions of teas and food, funny and beloved characters, and just a love letter to the city of Charleston. Mm -hmm. In fact, many years ago, I specifically was inspired to visit Charleston just because of these books. So, and a new one comes out like every year. So Mm -hmm. it's just kind of just a fun. 
So it's not like a super serious mystery. No, like someone dies, but it's it's not it's but nothing it's, like Louise Penny's series, okay. which are more dark. Those are mm-hmm. dark. These are fun. Fun mysteries. Fun, fun and like um, silly characters, annoying characters, quirky characters. Is this one? Is this a series that if you can, do you have to start from the beginning, or can you just pick no. up wherever? You can pick up wherever. Okay. That one you can just drop right in, and the characters never age. It's okay. always the same. But game. they're all the same characters, yes. though. But like, there's not a whole lot of no. changing or no. development. No. It's just this is the detective, or right. whatever. Right. Yeah, the the, okay. de- the detective in this case is the owner of the tea shop. So interesting. I don't, well, I don't know how she has time in her spare does time the to solve mysteries. Does the murders happen at the tea shop? I feel like no, she, okay. no. She always does like shindigs at different society events in Charleston, hmm. and someone always ends up dead. And interesting. She's always there. So <laughs> interesting. So that's fun. So are you reading anything else? I only have one. Uh, those to are talk the about. two books that I finished. Um, I like you know the so you've been publicly shamed so much that I started reading the Psychopath Test by the same author. What's it called? Psychopath Test. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Um, so I just think it's—I just think he's a good writer. He's sort of like a Gonzo journalist, so he just sort of places himself within the research he's doing because like he's not Charlie Ledoff. Yeah, and uh, Hunter S. Thompson. So okay. like he's not—it's not like he's a psychologist or anything. He's just a journalist trying to learn more about this. So he just implants himself in the story just to learn and everything. It's sort of why I like you know this that other book he wrote because he sort of like interviewed all the people that were shamed and just sort of thought about what it did to them and like what it could do to him if something were to happen if he just did something bad all okay. and all of a sudden so it's good I thought it's just good he's a good writer and it just keeps it engaged it doesn't keep it it's not difficult to read which, which author the, is this What's John his name? Ronson John Ronson yeah okay I'm this not sure where I'm not sure what newspaper he works for I know he's a British journalist but I think he's written for the Guardian he's written some op-ed for New York Times or something but he's I actually like him a lot you he's like got his some, voice you like his writing voice yeah I like his voice he's done some podcasts too. he's like a really interesting person like he just sort of researches and looks into things that most people wouldn't really think too much about but you know i think it's i think you know someone like that is always worth listening to or reading because they sort of you know he didn't do about if he didn't write about it then i don't think anyone would well this kind of segues into the last book i'm reading i just started bright-sided by another investigative journalist barbara ehrenreich Mm -hmm. who wrote nickel and dimed many years ago and I'm reading this one for my Tuesday night book discussion group at Ewald. And mm-hmm. it's about how positive thinking undermines us, how the U.S. is such a positive thinking country that it's been to our detriment. Yeah. So me being an optimist and usually looking on the bright side of life, I'm very interested to read this side of you know, the, mm-hmm. the coin because it it's something yeah. I never thought about. Yeah, I think there was something, I think it's like some studies, and I think I saw in some documentaries when, you know, actual test scores, like, about math, like, United States is, like, they're not at the top, they're, like, right. 17 or 18. When you ask the kids how they felt they did on the test, they're always, they always feel like they did the best. Yeah. Like, the U.S. says, like, confidence in themselves is, like, mm-hmm. at the top of the scale, right. even though their test results are not. Yeah. So I guess I could see where that author is coming from. Yeah. I just read the introduction, and she's talking about, you know, and if if things aren't going well, then, you know, you didn't try hard enough or, you know, you, mm-hmm. you didn't think positively enough. So I, I'm very excited to read it. And like John mm-hmm. Ronson, like you like his writing, I really like her writing voice. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a good discussion. I think so. Is that, you said that's for a book club, you're reading that book? Yes, okay. for the Ewald Book Discussion Group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that coming up soon? That's coming up 
April 9th. Oh, you yeah. got a couple of weeks left? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I get ahead of the game. I like yeah. to read things ahead of time. That's good. So. You don't want to do it like April 8th. Like, yeah. Oh, I got to finish this book. I'm always prepared. So that's good. I get things done ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do have one more thing I was reading. Okay. I told you I read a lot. I, I like self-help books. Mm -hmm. So I just finished reading a very small book called Loving Yourself by Daphne Rose Kingma. It's a very tiny, tiny book that packs a powerful personal message for anyone recovering from a hard time in their lives. So I'd recommend that, was that one a too. Quick, was that a short one? Very short. Okay. I read it in like two days over several meals. And, okay. Uh, but it's, it's very good for personal growth. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's all I've been reading. All right. I guess, you know, with that, we'll take a short break and then we'll start talking about the other things that we've been doing. we're back so we'll start talking about the movies we've been watching have you been watching have you seen anything lately well we've discussed this at work but last month I saw a documentary called The Great Buster directed by Peter Bogdanovich at the Detroit Film Theater of the Detroit Institute of Arts which then inspired me to check out Buster Keaton's silent comedies mm -hmm. and we have a small collection on DVD at the Woods Branch but I found that they are also available to watch on the library's canopy service, along mm -hmm. with other silent comedies by Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin. So I've been watching those for a quick laugh. They're only like mm -hmm. 15 to 20 minutes. So I've been enjoying those. Mm -hmm. And I think they also have a lot available on Michigan Electronic Library. So yeah. People don't think of you know, streaming media and silent movies, but it's kind of a nice surprise yeah. and a little change of pace mm -hmm. there. And this past winter, I was on a film noir kick, checking out all our film noir movies from the library's classics collection on DVD. And again, I also found those a lot on Canopy. Yeah. Um, and since I don't have either Wi-Fi or cable at home, I check out DVDs from the library or sometimes a library Wi-Fi hotspot so mm -hmm. I can watch them on Canopy. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I've been watching. Mm -hmm. There's plenty to watch. I prefer to read, but... yeah. Sometimes I change it up. Yeah. Um, this past couple of weeks, I've watched four movies, which is more movies I've watched wow. than like Like full-length movies? Full-length okay. feature films I've watched because I, I think I'm overcorrecting myself. I would have like watched no movies. Now I've like gone the other way. I'm watching too many <laughs> movies now. But it's sort of the way, the way it was. I wasn't really watching too many TV shows because I wasn't really feeling anything. But the wife and I watched this movie on Netflix called Private Life. It's with uh, Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. And it's about this couple who's trying to have kids, but, like, they have fertility issues, and they're just trying to mm. do basically everything they can to, to have a kid. It's sort of like a... It's more of like a comedy, though. So it's Really? Like, yeah. It's, like, serious. Like, it, like it, I would guess it, I would say it is, a, like, a dramedy, but, like, it doesn't, like, take lightly the the drama but like and the laughs are pretty good when it's funny it's not like a mixture of the both it's like I would say it's like it's funny but it's also real so it's good you know I think you know the two actors did a really good job in the performance but like you know they're basically both trying to do like in vitro fertilization and they're also on the adoption list and like they're just trying to like they're covering all their bases they're basically covering all their bases <laughs> to try to like you know have a kid and stuff and like there's a flashback scene where like they weren't. They went to this online site where you know females who don't want to have a kid 
get connect with you know people that do and they sort of started talking and then they went to go meet her and then like the person never showed up so to be like for adoption or for surrogacy or for adoption because okay. this person was already pregnant but didn't want the kid but it was sort of like you know oh i see and then that didn't work out and apparently they said that there's a lot of people that just sort of mislead people on there so it's possible that the person never existed or something mm-hmm. um and then the story sort of takes a 180 because are you um, giving too much away <laughs> uh no this is all in the trailer it's all okay. sort of in the trailer okay. And then, like, um, one of the, Paul Giamatti's niece, he, she lives in the city because she goes to college there, but she's sort of having a tough time, so she just sort of drops out and goes live with them. And then they sort of look at, look, the, and she decides that she would be their surrogate for their oh, kid wow. and stuff. Wow. So it sort of creates a lot of, you know, a little bit of tension between the family and just sort of, you know, all that stuff and just seeing, like, there's not really, like, a traditional sort of family anymore. You what know. made you pick that movie? I'm just curious. Uh, I heard good things. I heard good things about it for a while. I think it was at one of the film festivals. Really? And I never Netflix heard of it. picked it up, and okay. it was just something that I saw. I was like, "Oh, this." I wanted to watch it for a while. So and it's my, only on Netflix. It's only it's not on, on DVD. It's only on. I don't think it's only on Netflix. Okay. It's possible, but a lot of times Netflix doesn't put their movies on DVD. Yeah, because there's no reason. There's no reason for them to do so because they want people to subscribe to their service. Yeah. But if you have Netflix, no, I would, I would, rules me out. <laughs> I'd recommend I would recommend that movie. Okay. Um, and then surpri- somehow, surprisingly, another movie that we watched was Tully, which is, has Shirley Stern in it. That. And that's sort of a movie about this mom who has like two kids and then she has a third one. And then just sort of they hire um, this night nanny, apparently is a thing. And like this person just sort of takes care of the kid while everyone's sleeping, so everybody can just sort of, like, get a whatever. Oh, get a good night's sleep. Get a good night's sleep. <laughs> but it's sort of like, you know, Tully and the night nanny, I forgot what her name was. Uh, they just sort of start bonding and stuff. It's just, like, a really interesting movie, especially, you know, from the opposite. So we just watched that one right after I watched Private Life. And like, this is, like, There's completely different. Theme, yeah, it's completely it's different. But it sort of, like, sort of, like, takes a gaze into, like, postpartum depression and oh. stuff. Um... Okay. So I think it's just pretty interesting. I would not recommend Andy watch that movie right now. Um, no. But down the road, it's good. I mean, Charlie Theron always is pretty good, I think. Okay. Um, and that was the same team that did uh, Juno and Up and uh, Young Adult. Like Jason Reitman directed it, and Diablo okay. Cody wrote it. So they seem to have a pretty good relationship. So I think that's good. Okay. And then there's another theme to my other two movies. I'm not, I just, maybe there's something wrong with me, but I watched <laughs> uh, Hotel Artemis, uh, which was marketed pretty poorly. It was marketed sort of like as a John Wick clone, which if I hadn't seen John Wick, John Wick's just this straight action movie with Keanu Reeves that actually is really good, but okay. Hotel Artemis is not that movie. It's sort of like a more of like a slow burn secret society type thing there's some elements that are similar to john wick but it has not the action or okay. all that stuff so it was marketed pretty poorly but it was an okay movie jodie foster's in it and she doesn't really do many movies anymore no, i, but, I like her but She's she did a pretty good generation. job but she did a good job in that movie and you know there's some good action in it but it's more of like a slow burn learn about you know the society's collapsing you know is it, it dystopian yeah because it takes place in the future okay. and this this private company basically seizes all the water 
and oh like there's gosh. like you that's know, scary to right so that's like sort of like the back that's sort of just like the background of it that's not like okay. the main thing but that's sort of like society's kind of collapsed there's riots and these individuals you know they they're part of some secret oh, society that they're able to like access these sort of like hotels and like hospitals for criminals and that's okay. what the hotel Artemis is is like a spot okay. for them to like be safe and get is healed this up. on dvd this is on dvd yeah okay. i got it from the library and it's newer it's like, newer, yeah. It came out last year. Never heard of it. Okay, yeah. cool. And then the other movie I watched was Atomic Blonde, which had Charlize Theron in it. And that movie was marketed as, like, the female version of John Wick, but it was not like John Wick at all. It was more of, like, a spy thriller. I never saw thriller. John Wick, so now I'm going to have to but, see that to Yeah, but this Atomic Blonde was, like, pretty good. Like, it had some pretty good action sequences in it, but it was definitely more of, like, a spy thriller-type movie, some sort of, like, double crosses and, like, like espionage. Like like that. Yeah, I'm not, I can't think of, like, it's almost like James, more like James Bond than anything. Okay. But, you know, I think it's be- a little bit better than James Bond, though. But I think just the style was good. I think it probably got marketed towards, like, the John Wick angle because the director of Atomic Blonde directed John, the first John Wick. Okay. So they sort of just trying to go off that trail because that movie made a lot of money and people liked it. So I think a lot of these movies were being marketed as, like, you know, John Wick, but sure. different. Sort of like how every movie that came after Die Hard would just Die Hard on a bus or, right. or right. something. Right. But um, I liked it a lot. Like, Charlize Theron is just pretty much probably the best actress probably working today. Yeah. Going from seeing her in Tully and then Atomic Blonde. It's just sort of like a weird thing. She has a pretty good accent. She's plays a British operative in that movie. Okay. And that she's, sounds interesting. I liked it. Um, if you like spy movies and stuff I think it's good it's a little violent towards the end but not like not excessively violent just sort of gratuitously I don't even know if it's gratuitous it's just more I guess it's like more realistic than most action like Mm. fight scenes that you would see but it's good yeah it's good though well I just remembered I did see another movie over the weekend um at the Patriot Theater the War Memorial Mm -hmm. I saw the documentary Apollo 11 Mm-hmm. which I'm hoping will come out on DVD this summer so that everyone else can see it who missed it. But all it is, it's not even people today reflecting on the moon landing, which is mm-hmm. the 50th anniversary this year. Um, it was just raw news footage and new, never-before-seen news footage. And the moon landing, I was a year and a half in 1969, so I missed mm-hmm. it. So I just decided to go to see it and... I missed it by way more than that. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> it was an hour and a half, and I I really enjoyed enjoyed it. So. Mm-hmm. So there was I no highly recommend there was that. no like NASA footage like archival NASA stuff. Yeah, there yeah, was. Yeah, there was. Okay. Yeah, and it's interesting too, though. This ties in with the summer's uh, summer reading program theme, which is the University mm-hmm. Stories, and we're yeah. going to be showing, you know. 50th anniversary themed things. I know mm-hmm. we're showing First Man in June. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday night at the movies at Woods, and then mm-hmm. it's also the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, so we're going to be showing that documentary this summer, mm-hmm. too. So a lot of 50th anniversaries this year. Yeah. I also did see another movie. I saw a movie in the theaters. Uh, I saw How to Train Your Dragon 3 because we had watched the first two, and this is the last one in the trilogy. Is this a children's movie? Yes. How to Train Your Dragon? How to Train Your Dragon 3. Okay. Sort of the the conclusion so to your the daughter, whole series. You took your daughter to see this. No, we did no? not. We just she's my wife too young? and I. Yeah, she's still too young. To okay. See. She watches movies at home, but I don't know how she'd re- respond in the theater. 
too and much. And I'm not going to be that person that brings a kid. <laughs> Even you. though it is a kid's <laughs> movie, like, I just still, like, I don't know how she'll handle it and all She's that stuff. She's a little young. So we're just like, let's go see this movie. It was good. It was a good finisher to the trilogy. It's impressive to see what they've done with computer animation just since the first one to this third one. Like, it's just kind of amazing how far technology has gone. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the stuff that they're doing with the lighting effects, particle effects, just everything. And just like, oh, they could probably pretty much do anything with computer animation nowadays. It was a good showcase for their in-house engine or studio, whatever that DreamWorks has now. But it was good. I remember the first time I saw How to Train a Dragon was the best use of 3D that I ever ever did. Okay. I'm not sure. I think maybe it benefits itself better to, to computer animation. But the first How to Train a Dragon I saw in 3D... And I sort of was like, I don't really want to see this in 3D because I didn't really like it. But it was the only Showtime we saw. Then we saw it in 3D. I was like, wow, this is... If more movies did 3D like that, it probably would have caught on a little bit better. So this is 3D without the glasses. Well, this wasn't 3D at all. Just the first one. But just just whenever I see How to Train a Dragon in the theater and just sort of watch it at home, I still remember that experience of seeing that first one with a 3D because it was actually just that good. Wow. Like, you know, I I think there's still movies that do 3D, but it's not as in your face as it was like a few years ago. Like after Avatar came out, it's sort of when every movie was just 3D, even if it didn't have to be 3D. They're sure. like, let's just push it. It's and like a gimmick. Yeah, I mean, most of the time it was a gimmick, but when it worked, it, like, I mean, it really did work. It was probably worth the extra price for admission, but for the most part, I always tried to avoid 3D showings if I could, because I just didn't really like the effect, and especially in between all that, I got glasses too. And I feel yeah. like putting glasses on top of other glasses <laughs> just doesn't really, Right. doesn't really work very well. So I've only seen 3D um, old movies, like at the Redford Theater in mm-hmm. Redford. I saw a double feature of Dial M for Murder and House of Wax mm-hmm. with Vincent Price in those 3D. Were three, those were 3D? They were shown in 3D many years ago with the glasses. But they weren't it was filmed? a lot of fun. They weren't filmed in 3D, though, were they? I, Had to be like I some sort of post-production I don't, know the, I don't remember the details, but I do remember that's, those are the only two movies I ever saw in 3D. Did it benefit seeing it in 3D? Yeah. Really? I did. I thought it was interesting. very interesting. I didn't think I would like it because I don't like IMAX. Like I get like oh, I like, I like IMAX a lot. Easy when I go to those theaters and see IMAX. Mm-hmm. Like you are there. So I can't do that. Is, IMAX is great. I saw Interstellar there, and that was awesome because like I don't know if you've have you seen Interstellar? No. With Matthew McConaughey. Where'd you see it? IMAX. Where which theater? the one in uh, Henry Ford? Okay. Like I don't know if that's yeah. a real IMAX, but I think it's yeah, like it the is. biggest IMAX in Michigan. Yeah. I think, or at least that I would drive to. And there's this one scene where there's like this giant tidal wave and you're just like, this is awesome. But Christopher Nolan just does things with movies that most people aren't really doing. So I think that he pushes the envelope with all the technology, different sort of technology than like the after effects, but just the filming aspect. He's sort of in a different game than most of okay. the other people that are doing it. I don't, you wouldn't get the benefit at home no, with that I'm scene. Sure. Like that's why I yeah. wanted to see it in IMAX because I knew that he filmed it in IMAX and like sure. there would probably be some sort of spec- spectacle that would do right. it, and it was very impressive. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. The only thing I wanted to plug for movies for the library was on April sixteenth, at Tuesday night at the movies at Woods, we're going to show on the basis of sex, which is a dramatization of the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. It's actually a chapter in her life, yeah. and it stars Felicity Jones and Arnie Hammer. So check the calendar mm-hmm. four times and register. Do you know who Armie Hammer plays? Does he play her husband? He plays her husband, okay. Martin. Yes. Mm-hmm. That'll be yeah. that'll be a good one. Yeah, I think so. Felicity Jones is good. Have you seen the RBG 
documentary. Yes. yes. You did see that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember that was nominated for documentary, I think, for Oscars. Yeah, I don't Best. know. I don't follow that too closely. Yeah. It didn't win, but it was nominated, though. Well, that, that was excellent, done, mm-hmm. excellently done, too. And we just showed Green Book at the library mm-hmm. this past Tuesday, the mm-hmm. winner of the Best Picture, yeah. and we had a good turnout for that, too. That's good, and people seemed to like it? Yes, they did. People had seen it, they never saw it before? The or? people that came had missed it in the theater mm-hmm. and were on the long wait list for yeah. the DVD, you know, so mm-hmm. they, they came. Yeah, you so. can miss a movie very quickly nowadays. The turnover for movies is so fast. It's like a week or two. Some of those movies, it seems like it, especially if they're not performing well, like they drop them pretty fast. And, you know, those Oscar movies, they're almost never shown in wide release. And then, like, when they win Best Picture, they're like, one week it'll be, like, big and then it'll be done. They did, did, like, a mad rush of re-releasing of all Mm -hmm. the nominations. So that's why I saw Bohemian Rhapsody three times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, That's a lot of times. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Have you seen it a fourth time on DVD yet? No, but I'm on hold because my mother wants to see it. So, so that'll be the fourth time you see I it. I get on hold for the library copy, and then I show her mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, so. Does your mom watch a lot of movies? Yeah, she mm-hmm. does. But mm-hmm. I have to bring them to her because she, yeah. she doesn't get out much. So. Mm-hmm. Do you think she'll like it? Does she like Queen? No, but she likes music. Okay. So I think she'll really That's like good. it. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So have you been doing anything else? Just... Just the reading, the books you read, and the, the books movies. I read, and the movies, mm-hmm. um, the music, the album I've been listening to is Jason Mraz, No K N O W, which came out last year. I've been a big fan of his for many years, but mm-hmm. I'm not on like an email list, and I don't, yeah. I'm not, you know, check the website or anything like that. Occasionally, I see if they, my favorite artists have new releases, and I came across this one, and I missed it last year, so mm-hmm. I checked that out of the Woods Branch. And I've been listening to that on repeat pretty much mm-hmm. in the last. Is it on month. any? Is that on Hoopla or anything that you know? Yes, of? it's it on, is on Hoopla. Hoopla. It's okay. on Hoopla. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I can listen to it while I'm ordering books for the library. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you said that that's your song that you want to pick is off that album. Yeah. The, the pick of the week. Pick yeah. of the week. Unlonely is the name of the song, and I like Jason Mraz because, and Mraz for those of you who aren't familiar is spelled M R A Z, and his music is just happy. It just yeah. when I want to be in a good mood, I just put his music on, and it mm-hmm. makes me smile. So yeah, my wife and I danced. Our first dance was to a Jason Mraz song. Oh really? Which yeah. one? Do you remember the title? Um, you probably remember more how it goes than the name of I the song. I think it's Lucky. Lucky? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's hopefully that's... my wife's not listening, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's Lucky. <laughs> She'll quiz you later, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Lucky. Yeah. But yeah, I like it. That's him. a great song. Yeah, he's very chill. He's very laid back. Yeah, like Ben Lee. I don't know if you're familiar with him either. Um, ben Lee, L-E-E. I don't know if I'm familiar with him. I think I'm. I think I know him because he was in a group called like the Bens or something, with like Ben Folds and. I don't something. know that history. But I just know <clears> him as I think a I've solo heard of, artist. I think I've heard of his name though. Yeah, but um, again, happy, upbeat mm-hmm. songs. Sometimes silly lyrics that just you can't help but smile. Yeah, they're they are pretty silly, and he mm-hmm. does spell his last name out in one of his songs. I remember, like he sort of sing raps. He's like, yes. I'm, and all yeah, that so right but he's good i mean he's pretty talented he can he's do a lot of talented. he can do a lot of different stuff yeah um i think he came to the royal oak music theater and i missed it but mm-hmm. even if i tried to go to a concert it'd probably be ridiculously expensive and uh, hard to get <clears> in and so i probably Most, have to pass you'd be, a, you'd be okay 
Well, I'll keep an eye out for you. If he comes in, okay. I'll let you know. Sounds good. And everything. All right. Well, so I guess with that, we'll call that an episode. So I want to thank Maria again for coming in and joining me in Andy's absence. Thank you. Thanks for checking in with us, and we'll see you next time. I could be your one and only. I could make you unlonely. I've been chasing summer around, searching for the sunshine, looking for a good time, following the good vibes, listening to intuition as it's happening, digging into life cause at times it can be saddening, yeah it can be a grey day, if you're lonely, a little rain suddenly turns heavy, but a whole lot of love can make the clouds go away, maybe the time for us is now, when the table's set for two, and there's nobody with you, seeing movies by yourself, let me be your someone else. It could be love.